The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered cold-filtered, and cold-packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself. Because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order? Cashback guru? Low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you. Because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store. Even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Rotowire Prospect Podcast. Clay Link here with lead prospect writer James Anderson. Big thanks to New Day, N E U D A E. Appreciate the song Lion Kings. Still our intro for the 2018 season for now. May look to explore other beats from them, but uh, we appreciate it. James, your latest Farm Futures is up. The first of uh, your series going division by division, looking at all the prospects that our readers need to know. Pinpointed 98 in the NL East. A lot of those on the Braves. Meanwhile, very few on the Marlins. We won't get to everybody, but might as well just dive right in with Ronald Acuna. We've talked about him, beat this drum a lot. I've heard some people chatting about maybe the the price right now being too high, but I really think he's going to be an impact option, and maybe we'll see that price creep into the, the top 100 in terms of ADP eventually, but... Anything you want to add with with Ronald Acuna? No, I'm just I'm I'm really sick of talking about it. Like I just want to fast forward to like late April and put this all behind us. I mean, I keep getting 
people want to like nitpick stuff. Like I, I said in here that he's the best prospect since Mike Trout, of course, by Baseball America and Baseball Prospectus and MLB.com, I believe. Either Trout or Matt Moore was ranked ahead of, uh, or either Bryce Harper or Matt Moore was ranked ahead of Trout. Keith Law had Trout number one. I had Trout number one back then. I remember, I mean, I rostered him for for quite a while in a league with no minor league spots uh, ahead of Bryce Harper. I mean, I mean, he wasn't the consensus number one prospect in the game, but I I thought he was. I think Acuna is the best prospect since him. Um, there's just like I'll lay it out like one more time, like why I believe he's going to be up in mid-April because I know that there are people that disagree. Like if you have a generational talent, you want as many at bats from that player as you can before he hits free agency. Like you don't hold him down for super two concerns. There's no reason to do that. You're you might save yourself. Yeah, you might save yourself like eight million bucks. Great. You also missed out on like three months of the best player your franchise is going to have in like twenty years. And this is a Braves team that could that could uh, sniff a wild card spot if everything breaks right for them this year. They have, you know, one of the best hitters in the game in Freddie Freeman. They have, you know, pretty pretty good up the middle defense. I mean, there's there's some stuff that could break for them. They have excellent pitching depth. They're going to start the year with a lot of veterans in that rotation. They have a ton of arms on the way. Like you don't want to miss the playoffs by a game or two because you held Ronald Cunha down till late June, early July. I mean, there's just, there's so much working in favor of him being up in mid April. Alex Anthopoulos is really bright. He's also really aggressive. If you look back at what he did in Toronto, he's not the type of guy that's going to hold Ronald Cunha down for a few months just to save, uh, you know, four or 5 million bucks. I mean, I know that sounds like four or five million bucks, like, holy crap. Like, well, you know, when, when it's a guy like Acuna, you're getting, you're still getting him at such a massive discount in the arbitration process each year. So, uh, Plus you, you know, shoot some excitement into the fan base. Maybe the a boost in, you know, weekday ticket sales helps offset uh, that extra you're, you're paying yeah, down the line. That, I mean, you're going to start selling those jerseys faster. You're also it's good for his development. Like what is sending him to triple a for more, more than just to get that extra year. You send him for that, but keeping him down past that, it's just, it's a waste. Like you need him up in the big leagues. He's going to go through some struggles this year because he, he's got a fairly aggressive approach. He hasn't, you know, hasn't had to deal with a ton of elite breaking balls. Uh, I could see him having some issues against those types of pitches. You want that to happen you want, you know, as much of that to happen this year as you can because your develop or your competitive window opens, you know, 2019, 2020. So it's just, I just, I can't wait for this whole thing to be over. So I have to stop defending my Acuna stances. Yeah. I mean, I think you're, you hit the, the uh, nail on the head. Yeah. That's what I'm looking for. But yeah, I'm going to just make a hard rule that no more Acuna on the prospect pot until opening day. <laughs> uh, just, because yeah, you've you've said all that needs to be said. But that one last time, I think, I think that was perfect because you summed up everything, and the reasons why it will be mid-April. I think it just makes good business sense. We would have seen him last year, you know, if if it was just talent that we were looking at, uh, but it just makes good business sense for them to keep him down only until mid-April. But we'll move on in the Brave system. Austin Riley, 
I know you're you're a fan. We saw him in the fall league briefly, but what's the upside here with Austin Riley? He's you know just your classic slugging big third baseman. Uh, I think it's going to be thirty thirty homers annually in his peak season, especially in that ballpark. It was really impressive what he did after making the jump from high A to double A last year. He was easily the second youngest player at double A only because Acuna was there as well, who was the youngest. So, if, I mean, if Acuna had been there, Riley would have been easily the youngest. He was still so much better than league average there. Really, you know, got to more power. Also upped his K to walk. Uh, you know, it, it's it's a pretty exciting profile in my eyes. I think he's, he's still underrated in, in most circles. Uh, the average is the question. You know, I could see anywhere from 250 to 275, 280, something like that. Kind of has a little bit of uh, Mike Moustakis vibe sort of in that in that way. But, I mean, how many, how many guys do we have? I mean, this is a really loaded prospect class if you're just talking about guys with legitimate upside that are also close to the majors. I mean, that so many of the guys in my top 40 or top 50 – are going to debut in the majors this year or return to the majors this year. And Riley's going to be one of them. I think he's going to be up this summer. Yeah. It really fills out them, them pants. You know, I like that. (laughs) It really fills them out. If you get it, uh, Luis Gohara, number three, not a big surprise there. We talked a little bit about him on the Saturday XM show. You made some good points about maybe that opportunity for a close to a full season's worth of starts. Isn't really there with their additions from Los Angeles, but you still expecting Gohara to be a, a worthwhile fantasy commodity this year? Yeah, I, I think he's going to be up for the majority of the season. I just don't know. I think we were debating like him versus Honeywell. I think Honeywell gets more innings than Gohara this year uh, because I think he's more complete in terms of a minor league development, whereas Gohara, you know, we saw this with a lot of their pitchers, you know, Max Freed, uh, Sean Newcomb, Gohara, guys were kind of rushed a little bit last year uh, as that regime was kind of trying to get a look at some guys before this next wave comes. Gohara will be the first of their really foundational starters to to debut in 2018, and I think he's going to log over 100 innings in the big leagues. So four, five, six in the Brave system, Kyle Wright, Mike Soroka, Colby Allard. Uh, Wright's the... The oldest of the bunch, 22 compared to 20 for the other two. What's Kyle Wright's, like the ETA, I'd imagine this year, but in terms of like months, what are you thinking? I actually don't think he comes up this year just because of the log jam ahead of him. Uh, you're going to have Soroka and Allard starting the year at AAA. You're going to have Gohara ahead of him. You know, I don't, I don't think they're going to pull the plug on Fulton as a as a starter max max freed still ahead of him so i just i don't think they're gonna rush right just because they don't have the innings to give him he's gonna probably start the year double a he barely pitched after getting drafted i i could see him you know kind of dominating there until maybe june july then he goes up to triple a once they've promoted guys like soroka and allard to the big league so i, I think you're gonna see right up uh in early 2019 if, if everything goes according to plan of course you could have a you know, some struggles at AAA that maybe slow him down a little bit, but I don't I don't think you gotta worry about him in single season leagues. A glut of exciting arms in the system. Ian Anderson at seven, Joey Wentz at nine, Max Fried, who you mentioned at ten. Also Christian Pash, outfielder 
at number eight. I want to talk to you, though, about William Contreras because I was excited to get him in the Rotowire Dynasty Invitational. Obviously, the the bloodline there helps with, with me feeling confident in drafting him as a long-term guy. Among catchers in the minor leagues, where does this guy rank? Uh, I think he might be borderline top 10. I can check really quick. You know, he, the thing that I look for in catcher catching prospects are guys that don't have any obvious flaws. And I, for that, I mean, defense and offense. Like I, there's plenty of catchers catching prospects that, you know, there aren't that many questions about the bat, but there are a ton of questions about whether or not they profile in today's game as, as defensive catchers, because, there's not a team out there that's going to sacrifice defense to the extent that they they once did. Uh, actually, looking now, I have Contreras as the fifth best catching prospect behind Kyber Ruiz. Oh, nice. Uh, actually, this isn't counting Mejia because I think he's listed as a DH, but uh, Ruiz, Mejia, Dalton Varsho, Ronaldo Hernandez, Zach Collins, all ahead of him. But, uh, you know, Contreras is very similar to his brother in terms of just that approach. He's going to hit for a, a high average the power hasn't really shown up yet, but I think it, it probably eventually shows up in the form of, you know, 15 to 25 homer pop. But it's it's just, it's that batting average and the fact that you can feel reasonably confident about him sticking behind the plate that appeals to me. Yeah, not much separating William Contreras from Alex Jackson in your top 400. Contreras 171, Alex Jackson 186, both pretty interested guys. Between those two in the Brave system, we have Drew Waters, Bryce Wilson. I want to talk about number 15 on your list, though, because he's not a guy you'll find much, you know, find all that high on most lists because he's a reliever already. But A.J. Minter, pretty exciting. We've talked a little bit about him on Sirius. And this is a guy that, you know, with that swing and miss stuff, I think the the swing strike rate was pushing 20% last year. We could see him take over the closer role in Atlanta this year. Yeah, ranking relievers like Minter, it's just so hard for Dynasty Leagues because – you know, obviously he could get hurt, but all it really takes is for him to just have, you know, a bad 20 innings, bad 30 innings. And he's kind of out of the closer mix and not valuable at all in dynasty league. So it's, it's so hard to know where to rank him, even though he's a huge target of mine in single season leagues. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know what to do with him. I have him at two Oh six. He's my favorite relief prospect in the game for all the reasons you said, I think his, I think you and I are probably helping, especially with that Saturday show that we did uh, where, where Chris Blessing was singing his praises. I think we're going to help get his ADP inside the top 400 sooner than later. I just, oh, yeah, we're tastemakers. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I mean, you get it? if if you want to – I would take Minter probably ahead of, I don't know, five, six, seven guys that currently project to be closers just because – you know, last year, what did we see? Like a 50% turnover at that position? I think it was even higher last year. Like, it's just... Detailed in the the baseball forecaster from HQ. They did a really good job of that. I, I, I'd i rather... I, I'm always... I've always been kind of a skills over stability of, of that in, in when it comes to that. So that's part of the reason why I've been kind of leaning towards like the top 15, top 12 guys in single season leagues if I can. But Minter's a guy that I, I would happily go into a season with. Like, if it's a 12-team league, I'd, I'd be happy if he was my third reliever. If it's a 15-team league, I'd probably be happy if he was my second reliever, to be honest, because I think the ratios and strikeouts are going to be that good. Yeah, it's probably not my biggest regret, but one of the biggest regrets I have from RDI was you know, casting a big, big net looking for saves and not getting Minter. I think he should have well, been a primary target. Yeah, 
I think Blessing was smart, though, to take him where he did because yeah. he really he took him, I think, ahead of where anyone else thought they would have had to take him, and that's probably what you had to do there. Yeah. Uh, before we move on from the Braves, though, Tuki Toussaint, falling outside of your, well, off, entirely off your top 400, still 18th in this system, but, you know, are you willing to kind of close the book on Toussaint being a, a really an impact major league player? No, uh, but I am pretty much willing to close the book on him being a starter. He's just sometimes seeing is believing. And I saw him in the AFL and seeing was led to me not believing because, you know, all it really took was watching him for an inning. And it was just like, there's no way this guy's starting. (laughs) There's just no way. Uh, Now it's like, he's still pretty young. He's 21, but man, I just don't, I don't see it. And things couldn't be working more against him in that sense because of the pitchers. We just like, what is he like the 10th or 11th pitcher on this list? Like he's just not going to get a shot. I don't think it's a, it's a probably a matter of months, not years before they move him to the bullpen full time. And even with, with a guy like Minter ahead of him with his control issues or Rodas Viscaino ahead of him, he's not even locked to, to factor into the ninth inning mix. So I think he still has the stuff to be a dominant late inning reliever, but, for for dynasty leagues for fantasy i just i don't really see it right now so anybody in this braves list particularly the back half that we didn't talk about that you want to maybe shout out yeah i mean everyone's always kind of looking for just kind of that next thing that next big thing um it's ron l wilson's a a guy that's gonna open the year at high florida he's got impact tools hasn't been able to hit yet but i'd keep an eye on him and then uh further down the list Jeffrey Ramos is going to make his full season debut this year with low a Rome. He's 19 year old outfielder. He's got some tools as well. So just keep a guy, keep an eye on guys like that. We'll move on to the Marlins system and talent wise. There's not a ton to get excited about here, but look with them stripping down the team. A lot of these guys are relevant because they may get an opportunity and opportunity as we know, drives fantasy value. We'll start at the top Magniri Sierra, one of the headliners in the return for, Marcel Ozuna, like the speed, he hadn't really shown great instincts on the base pass, but seems to be improving a little bit. Is he going to hit enough, though, to allow that speed to play? Well, I think the the great thing about that trade is it, the bar is going to be pretty low in terms of what hitting enough is. Uh, I think the defense, you know, he's he's still kind of a erratic player just in general, but I think it's easy to envision him one day being one of the five or six best defensive center fielders in the game. And just with that, that kind of background as a quality defender in this system with just nobody ahead of him, you know, especially if they trade a guy like Yelich. Now they could trade Yelich for a couple outfielders in which case then it becomes a little bit harder, but it's never going to be as hard as it was for him in St. Louis, where not only did they have three established everyday guys at the big league level, but they had a ton of prospects ahead of him on the depth chart. I think that he, you know, maybe only hits 240, 250, but at least now he's back on a developmental track where he's not getting yanked up and down by the Cardinals. I think he, he'll get to spend the full year in the minors this year. And, you know, even if he only hits 240, I think the speed's going to be there for him to be relevant in most dynasty, or in most fantasy leagues. By the way, while we're on the topic of the Marlins, what do you think of these these rumors about Yelich to the crew? 
You're a big Brewers fan, but you also love Brinson, so are you a little torn here? Uh, you know, I don't know. I, I think it's going to be fascinating if that actually does go down to see what the full haul is. You would imagine that Brinson would be involved, but you never know. I mean, maybe it's maybe it's uh, Brett Phillips and Keon Broxton and Corbin Burns or something like that. I mean, there's there's a variety of ways that that deal could get laid out. Uh, if the Brewers get that done without including Brinson, I'll just bow down to that front office. <laughs> well, it's it, not impossible because they have a good system. They have to, you know, the Marlins, we saw the Pirates just recently value quality over, or quantity over quality, uh, probably to the Marlins their probably should. detriment, but... You know, the Marlins are, if anyone should be valuing quantity over quality, yeah. it should be the Marlins because they just don't have anything. Uh, so maybe, maybe they can get it done with like a four player deal, five player deal. Give, they could give the Marlins a couple uh, low minors lottery tickets to go with some close to the majors pieces. You know, there's, there's a variety of ways it could go down. If, if Brinson's involved, I, I don't necessarily think that hurts Brinson's fantasy value a ton. I mean, it, it definitely gives him a, a clearer path to playing time. Uh, I saw I saw Keith Law had him had his power grade out to eighty in his uh, really. Or actually, I didn't I didn't read Keith Law's thing because I'm not a ESPN insider, but I saw it on a Brewers blog that he had that listed, and the, the blogger in question said that that means he's got Joey Gallo power, which is not how it works. But, uh, you know, I mean, I think it's, it's definitely worth noting that Brinson, I think he gets talked about as like a 2020 guy, 2020 or 25, 20 guy. Uh, so, I mean, it, maybe there's a bit more power upside there than meets the eye. And in that case, it, it might not matter that he has to, to leave Miller park, but, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. Number two on your Marlins list is a guy you're probably not going to contribute this year especially on this team, 20 years old, but James Nelson, is he actually one of the few guys in the system that is exciting long-term? Yeah, I like him a lot. I think that he fits the mold of a guy that you can really envision being an everyday third baseman and, and hitting enough to profile there. He's just, you know, he just finished at low A, so he's a couple years away. He's got to work on the approach a little bit, but he's kind of got everything you look for there. I wouldn't be surprised if he finished the year as a borderline top 50 guy. Another guy returning in that Ozuna trade, Sandy Alcantara. Pretty exciting stuff, but if you had to say right now, is he a, is he a bullpen guy eventually? You know, he's a guy like Sierra where I think the trade benefits his long-term fantasy stock because with the with the Cardinals, I think they were just going to, move him straight to the bullpen this year. Mm-hmm. The Marlins have no reason to pull the plug on him as a starter. I think he spends the whole year in the minors. I mean, unless he makes drastic improvements and forces his way to the big leagues as a starter, I think he'll be in the minors all year. I mean, he was pushed aggressively, so it's not, I mean, he, I don't even know if he spent any time at AAA last year. So I think, I think he's going to be down all year working as a starter 50, 50 at best to me, but if he makes it as a starter, man, there's, there's a ton of upside there. Brian Anderson, fourth on your list. He's a guy I've seen getting some love <laughs> from some from some who shall remain uh, unnamed on this podcast. But can you give us uh, some warnings, some maybe a, a dose of reality here with, with Brian Anderson? 
I just think there's the only thing really going for him is that the playing time should be there, at least in 2018. I think you should be, if you draft him just for 2018, I think you should really be happy if he hits like 260 and gives you like 18 homers. Uh, I'd call that a win and wouldn't be surprised if it was like 240 with like 10 homers or something. I don't know. Yeah, that has value in certain formats. But it's like a mixed league dart. Well, I mean, and they're, they're a lot better darts to throw. Not only might he hit 260 with like 15, 18 homers, you might hit like third or fourth for them for chunks of the season. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, I look, I get it for for really deep leagues. It's just I I have zero interest in guys like this for dynasty. Microsoft Teams is helping a bicycle company reinvent the way that they work. We make low-maintenance bicycles for everyday riders. Once the pandemic hit, we had nobody coming into the showroom. So we started doing virtual visits via Microsoft Teams. We're able to see two or threefold the amount of customers we used to be able to see. All of a sudden, we could open up our showroom to customers around the world. I really think it's going to set a standard for retail moving forward. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash Teams. So, Brian Anderson, 201 on your overall top 400 only a couple other guys in the system that even cracked the top 400. You have a few here mentioned that aren't aren't included in that list, but anybody here that you look at and say maybe they could rise in the ranks here over the course of the year? Uh, I guess Trevor Rogers could. I mean, I I like Braxton Garrett the most of, of this Jorge Guzman, Trevor Rogers, Braxton Garrett uh, trio of arms, but he's going to be rehabbing from Tommy John surgery almost all season. Uh, Trevor Rogers, we didn't see it all after the Marlins took him in the top 15 last year, but look, if he, yeah, if he comes out and really looks dominant in the New York Penn league, then his stock will definitely go up, but I, I still think he's a reliever. So I, I wouldn't bet on that. Uh, so it won't be Dylan Peters, man, Dylan Peters sucks. Uh, I, I, this is, so this is what really sucks about this Marlin system is that I had to write up Dylan Peters and I had to write up Zach Gallen, even though I would never do that in a normal system. But look, they're gonna they're gonna get starts in the big leagues this year, and they are gonna have long leashes in the rotation this year. So in certain formats, just a guy being a starting pitcher that gets the ball every fifth day has value. So I had to write him up, but these guys should not be getting starts in the big leagues this year. Another system that's pretty low on impact talent. The Mets, uh, their top prospect, barely coming in the top 100 overall, Mark Vientos at, at 99 overall in your top 400. 18-year-old, what's the offensive skill set look like? He could be kind of your classic third baseman with 25-plus uh, homer power. Maybe, you know, it's kind of a... I mean, he doesn't have the same body as Austin Riley, but it's that it's that type of statistical profile. He's just a long ways away. He was one of the youngest of the top players in last year's draft, which is usually a good sign. That's that's something you're looking for, but it also means that he's just he's just a baby. I think he spends the whole year at low A. There's there might be some ups and downs there, but uh, he's got he's got power, and he should be able to stick on the left side of the infield. So that's something. Andres Jimenez. I believe it's Jimenez, or maybe it's Jimenez. There's a Chris Jimenez. Uh, but shortstop, 19 years old, you threw a pretty unexciting comp on him, but why is there some reason for optimism? 
it's you know I can't I can't rank a guy who I think is going to play shortstop, stick there, and hit for a fairly high average. I can't rank him much lower than I did one nineteen. You know he. I compared him. I said, if you want to wait three years for the next JP Crawford, then this is your guy. But he he probably steals more bases than Crawford will. So that's something. I mean, he might steal 15, 20 bases, and I don't think Crawford's ever going to do that. Uh, he doesn't have the same sort of on base skills, but he might hit for a higher average than Crawford will. Both of them have. I mean, Crawford's actually probably got more power than Jimenez. So I I don't know. It's he's going to play shortstop, and he's probably going to hit for high average. Are my selling points on him? So Vientos and Jimenez, the only two Mets that snuck inside the top 200. Ronnie Mauricio, just outside the top 200, uh, probably headed for the Dominican Summer League. Really young kid, just 16 years old. What's the ceiling with Mauricio? Crazy high. He's got just that perfect. Like if I'm going to invest in a shortstop prospect who may or may not stick at shortstop, but one you know a teenage guy like this, I want him to be six two, six three, so you can really dream on that offensive ceiling a little bit. And it's not the worst thing in the world if those guys end up having to move to third base. It is the worst thing in the world if those guys end up like topping out as like a ten homer threat, and then you have then you're stuck like with them five years away from the big league. So he's got the body that you can dream on. He's one of my top guys from last year's July two signing class, but it's going to be a, a super long wait. Peter Alonzo, you know, I saw a MLB Pipeline recently published their list, updated list of top top uh, first base prospects. It's not a whole lot exciting, you know, super exciting group of players in the minor leagues right now. It's really where, weak. Yeah, where does Alonzo rank at, at that position? I don't like him. Uh, he's a guy that, you know, Ian Kahn and I, we didn't disagree a ton when it came to filling out our RDI roster, but he we we agreed to disagree on Peter Alonzo quite simply. I think that was something we agreed on in an email. Is like I think we're just going to have to agree to disagree on this guy. Uh, I still have him ranked as the I have him ranked as the fourteenth best first base prospect, which maybe isn't as low as I thought he'd be actually. But it, like you said, it's a it's a garbage position right now for prospects. Uh, Alonzo to me just first base prospects kind of have to be perfect and he's far from that he's a bad defender he's in the national league so he has so that matters that he that he's a bad defender there and he struggles against righties so (laughs) you know i don't know what to tell you (laughs) like it's it's his glove's not going to keep him in the lineup and he probably isn't going to hit against righties the power is definitely legit but i don't know (laughs) (laughs) that's exciting um (laughs) david peterson was number five desmond Lindsay number six he was a relatively high pick he was either supplemental or second round pick in 2015 but has his stock pretty much crashed at this point i had him ranked i think i had him ranked inside the top 100 this time last year so yeah it's i was wrong about that one uh he (laughs) We've been there. He's been there. he's one of the best athletes in this system, which is just a hilarious <laughs> honor to have. It's like, well, great. <laughs> You're one of the best athletes in the Met system. That's cool. Um, he's still got. You know, he's. 
I think he's still got a decent amount of value in OBP leagues because he he's a guy that's always walked a lot and the power's still there. He he's got enough speed to steal double digit bases. So if you're in an OBP or points league that is super deep on prospects, Lindsay should be a lot higher than I have him on my list. But for batting average leagues, I, I I'm not that interested. I was happy to see you found a spot for Marcos Molina still in the top 400. The face. We were pretty the former high. face. Yeah, I love that face. <laughs> it was, you know, I was pretty high on him, excited, but Tommy John surgery last year, how was he looking in his return, do you know? It's just he, he still has one of the better arms in this system, but like I said, I mean, it's just that's not a it's damning with faint praise. I mean, I think before the surgery, you could kind of dream on a number two starter. Now I think – more realistically you're looking at a a low number three maybe a number four so it's just it's not that exciting anymore moving on to the philly system number one scott kingery talk a lot about the guys who are on the verge you know acuna leading the packs ryan mcmahon uh, miguel andahar but i think scott kingery should be getting more single season love than he is right now well depending on your driving that train depending on your draft room you're going to have to get aggressive on him because I, I think Matt Modica took him, man, like I want to say like the 14th, 15th round, something like that in our Arizona draft that we did with him. Uh, Was it that high? Jeez. I can't remember, but I remember being like, crap, I didn't think I had to even think about him here. But um, I mean, it's easy to see why. Really the only thing that is worrying is that they aren't going to – Cesar Hernandez still sort of lurks, and he was good enough last year where – they might not want to just put him straight straight to a utility role right now. I'm sure they've been trying to shop him and have been unsuccessful. So we don't really know when Kingery is going to be getting every day at bats. Of course, if my Michael Franco's terrible again, then maybe they move Hernandez or Kingery over to third just to get get their bats in the lineup. And but then you'd kind of be pulling on the pulling the plug on Franco. So a lot to work out there. But I think he's. He's close to a finished product at AAA, so I think these things usually sort themselves out. I mean, there's just a lot to love. I mean, it's it's middle infield, good hit tool, plus plus speed, starting to tap into power. I mean, it's it's a really exciting profile, especially at second base right now. Yeah, and you know, we recently made some changes to the depth charts here at Rotowire, and you did some sweeps, really just kind of reflecting our expected 2018 value for these players. And you have Kingery as the number two second baseman. So that kind of speaks to uh, what you're expecting for, from him and uh, his ability to hold down a regular job throughout most of the year. Jalen Ortiz, you have ahead of Sixto Sanchez in the Philly system. Sixto is a guy that's really popular at the prospect crowd. I, I like him a lot too. It's not just the fun name. He's got exciting stuff, but why do you like Ortiz? Uh, maybe not a ton more, but it, a fair amount more than six I think Ortiz is, in my mind, the new face of minor league baseball. Uh, I mean, he's just got such a big, meaty face. I, I love it. Uh, we should do a prospect magazine just just so we can put this guy on the cover. <laughs> I I'd love that. Uh, I I haven't had a six because I think the bat is that special. Six to me still has all kinds of risk for. I mean, pretty much everything you could list that would give a pitching prospect risk outside of talent. I mean, he checks the box, he throws really hard, he's short, he's, you know, there's there's all, there's all kinds of ways that he could break between now and him reaching the big leagues. Ortiz is just, 
man, there's there's nothing I don't like about him. He, I mean, the only thing that I am worried about a little bit is that he's in the National League and might end up outgrowing right field. But the reports on that last year were actually pretty encouraging. A lot of people think he might be able to stick and right. And he has just monster raw power, an amazing approach. And I think he's going to have a huge year at low A and, and maybe force a promotion to double A or to, to high A actually before the end of the season. I think we could finish the year and he, he might be a, a top 10 prospect for dynasty leagues and he's a hitter. Sixto Sanchez is not a hitter. So that's part, all part of the equation there. JP Crawford at number four. He's been hanging around these lists for a while. Adonis Medina is checking at number five. Francisco Morales, Adam Hazley, Jorge Alfaro talked about it a lot. He's going to get a ton of uh, looks in, in two catcher leagues this year. But could you say again uh, what the downside is here with Jorge Alfaro? Uh, I mean, he could hit the Mendoza line this year. I, he kind of he actually reminds me a lot of Mike Zunino like two years ago. So just a guy that's he's got power and he's going to run into you know fifteen eighteen homers this year even if he hits two hundred. But I, I think it's going to be a couple years before the batting average is palatable in most mixed leagues. I mean if you if you have a catcher like let me ask you this like. What size league is a catcher that hits 225 with 18 homers someone that you would want to roster? Oof. I mean, probably NL only or an only league. But even then, it's, I mean, how much is, of a net gain are you even getting from a guy like that? Yeah, I mean, like, I would almost rather roster, like, Victor Caratini knowing that he's going to hit, like, 270, mm-hmm. even if he's not playing a ton. Uh, yeah, you can make up power, but man, I just hate these batting average sinkholes because once those stats get ingrained over the first couple of months, it's so hard to make up ground. I still like like if this was, you know, if we were ranking catching prospects on how valuable I think they're going to be three years from now, Alfaro might be number two behind Kybert Ruiz. I still think he's going to be a, a decent big leaguer. It's just. It's such a ask anyone that like had Mike Zanino two years ago how tough it was to to hold him through the lean years. You know, I mean, it, there's going to be temptations between now and when Alfaro's good to cut him in pretty much all formats. So that's just I, it's not something I want a part of. Sir Anthony Dominguez at number nine, Roman Quinn ten, Mickey Moniak eleven, and Moniak, of course, has seen his stock plummet quite a bit. As a former number one overall pick, I did see a recent article on Fangraph saying it's too early to write this kid off, and that's true from a real life standpoint. But for our, from our perspective as fantasy guys, is it pretty much safe to assume that he's not going to be a an impact fantasy asset? It's just not. You know, you can still probably trade him and get a decent player or not a decent player, but like a top one fifty, like someone on my list that I have in the top one fifty, you could probably get for him right now. <laughs> and I would do that. I just think that it's, it's very dangerous when you have a prospect who never had a high ceiling. Like, I mean, Moniac's like best case scenario, even when they took him was kind of a uh, Ender Inciarte. And so 
now all of a sudden he's not as fast as he was pre-draft. The hit tool is significantly worse than it was projected to get to. Uh, he he didn't hit lefties at all last year, and so now it's just you you took a guy that didn't have a huge ceiling, and now you've shown that his floor is is so much lower than we ever thought. That's just not something I'm interested in when it when he's three years away from the big leagues. Yeah, I think that's well put. Archimedes Gamboa, that's a 80-grade name, I'd say. Love that. Anybody else you want to talk about in this Philly system? You spotlighted 30 players. Just don't know how deep you want to get here. Yeah, I, I, I won't talk about anyone in particular, but I will just say, like, this is a this was a really tough system to do the rankings for and decide who to leave on, who to leave off, just because they have a seemingly endless supply of number four, number five type starters that are pretty close to the majors. So if it was a guy, so this is kind of like my rule for this series going forward is like, if it's, if it's a number five starter who I think gets uh, some starts in the big leagues this year, I'll rank them. If it's a number five starter, I don't think gets to the big leagues this year. I'm not going to rank them. And if it's a number four starter who, maybe shows up late this year, early next year, I'll rank them. But if not, then I'm, I'm not going to rank them. So there, there's, there's a bunch of guys on this list that are back end types that might have single season appeal for a week or two this year. Um, so you can check those out if you're in single season leagues. Just real quick. He's not a prospect anymore. He graduated from prospect status last year, but a guy that you've been following for a while and you actually met him when you took one of your minor league trips, Nick Williams, I don't know how this outfield's going to shake out. Do you think it's Altair who's the fourth outfielder, or do you think maybe Nick Williams heads down for a little more seasoning? Ah, man, that's a good question. Uh, I sort of think it might be Williams plays against righties and Altair plays against lefties. I don't I know why that. you'd want to platoon those guys, though, like at this stage in their development. I, it's An injury will probably solve that problem right. for it. It's a good problem to have. Yeah, it's... I get the Carlos Santana signing. Like I, I'm sure that in every way, every way their front office graded it out, he was a good value at that price because of what he brings offensively and defensively. But it's just it's kind of created a, a bit of a mess where you know Reese Hoskins, I love him, but man, he should not be in the outfield. And Nick Williams needs as many plate appearances as he can get this year and and Altair does too I mean Altair staying healthy should be his number one goal but I mean how how much is he going to progress if he's if he's sitting four times a week so I I don't really want a part of that Altair Williams grouping for 2018 just because I it's it's going to be tough to predict how it shakes out absolutely moving on to the Nationals then last team in the NL East Victor Robles no surprise leading the, the charge here I was thinking about the the top prospects the other day and i really think i think i might have vlad even overhead ahead of acuna i know that (laughs) proximity obviously for fantasy reasons acuna is more valuable i just love vlad how far behind those two is victor robles if we're talking big picture it's it's so hard man i so to me there's a tier at the top of Acuna, Vlad, Robles, and Eloy Jimenez, where most years any of those four would be a completely justifiable number one prospect for Dynasty Leagues. And it just so happens we have four of them who are who are all prospect eligible right now. It's to me it's Acuna 
in kind of a like a smallish gap between him and Vlad. There's a bigger there's a bigger gap to me between Vlad and Robles than there is between Acuna and Vlad. And I I did a poll on Twitter last week where I just like I was like I know I know I like Vlad more, but like what's the consensus on Vlad versus Robles? I think Vlad won like seventy thirty. So there are a ton of people out there that would still take Robles over Vlad and they're going to cite speed and that's valid. But when your tools, when you're hitting your power tools are as extreme as Vlad's are, that's just so nice. You know, if you can have a guy, hall of fame pedigree too. If you have a guy that's going to hit. Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. If you have a guy that's going to hit like three twenty, and (laughs) and hit like 35 homers every year. Yeah. Like that's just, that's so nice. (laughs) And you know, uh, Robles is great. I mean, he's he's going to be a hell of a player. He's going to he's. I think you're going to get to a point like five years from now where Acuna, Vlad, and Robles are going in the top fifteen in single season leagues. And so it's just it's hard to say like I love this guy over this guy when they might all be first rounders in a in a few years. But you have to kind of draw the line. Like if if Robles, I'd be more surprised if Robles. Or I'd be more surprised if Vlad Jr. didn't hit 300 in his prime than I would be if Robles didn't hit 285. Hmm. And, you know, Eloy is a guy that I could see hitting 300 with 40 homers in, in his prime. So it's just you're, you're talking about four just huge talents. And I'm not saying this just because I'm a prospect guy. I mean, it's it's really like I had Yon Mancada as our top prospect last year. And I would take Acuna, Vlad, and Robles now over Mankata then. Mm-hmm. And I think it would be close between Mankata and Eloy. So it's just we're, we're in a really stacked year at the top. All these guys are great, but I, I'm with you on – I'm not with you on Vlad over Acuna, but I think – I don't think it's as crazy as some might, might think it is to say that. Well, I appreciate that. Um, and, you know, I think with Robles – there may be the idea out there that I am not big on him for 2018 because I don't think the debate between Acuna and Robles for 2018 is really a debate. No. I think it's Acuna by a mile. I still do think Robles could be a pretty good value, though. There's a place these, for him. these draft and hold leagues. He should be going – I think he should be going in the top 300 for any format for 2018. I just think you have to take him knowing that there's a very real chance he's not up until June – I mean – yeah. Like when? Why would they bring him? Like, what if Mike Tate? I know that everyone always says, like, well, Cody Bellinger wasn't blo- or was blocked last year, and look how that turned out. It's like, well, yeah, obviously these things can always turn out where the guy gets up sooner than you expect. But what if Michael Taylor's hitting? I mean, he plays great defense. Like, if if Michael Taylor's hitting, Adam Eaton is doing what Adam Eaton is supposed to do, and Bryce Harper is healthy, then why would you bring Robles up? Like there's just there's just a lot of health concerns though, but yeah, I hear you. Right, right, yeah. As soon as one of those guys gets hurt, he's probably up. But mm-hmm. what if they don't get hurt until July first? Like, I mean, there's downside. But I do, I agree with you that you know probably should be going a little higher. I guess you didn't actually say that. I, I think you should be going a little higher in most leagues. I, we did that, you know, the, the scoring thing that Chris Welsh sent us, and I think one of my options was. Victor Robles versus Mitch Hanniger. I guess I'm just not a big Hanniger, Hanniger guy. 
big gap between those two in ADP, but I don't really see much of one uh, if we're just evaluating. Obviously, Hanniger has the edge in terms of expected playing time, but I think Robles could be more impactful option once he does get the call. Uh, Juan Soto, number two on this list, is exciting. Number 17 overall in your top 400. Only 19 years old, but in terms of the, the skills, power, speed, is it all there? He's not really much of a speed guy. Uh, I mean, he he's kind of Eloy Jimenez-esque in that it could just be crazy batting average, crazy power in a in an outfield corner. Um, you know, it, I think most, I think everyone's just getting a lot smarter with prospects. I feel like five, six years ago, a guy like Juan Soto that had missed this much time and wasn't really that proven above rookie ball might be in like the thirties or forties on certain lists, but everyone kind of knows how good he is, even though he's missed so much time. Uh, he's an easy top 20 prospect for dynasty leagues. So we got Carter Keyboom, number three, Azel Antuna, number four, Luis Garcia, Daniel Johnson, Eric Fetty, Eric Fetty, now 25, this rotation pretty well full. They also have AJ Cole still hanging around, I guess, as like a swingman, number six starter. But is Fetty a guy that could get a, a run in that rotation this year? I think the way things, you know, there's certain depth charts I've seen where he's projected to open the air as their fifth starter. Hmm. I think a lot, this is like a legit spring training situation to watch, assuming Scott Boris isn't able to talk their ownership into signing Arietta or something like that. Could uh, very well happen. Sure. I mean, it, I honestly think that would make sense. Like, if you're the Nationals. Last year, Bryce. Like, yeah. just do it. Like, you, do you want Eric Fetty in your rotation? I, I don't. Um, Plus, like, assuming those guys hold up reasonably well, you're set up pretty well even if you do lose Harper, uh, assuming you do. Right. I, I think they're set up. Well, about as good as you could be for losing a guy like Harper because you just go Robles, Taylor, Eaton next year, and that's I mean a lot. Of, it's better in a lot of teams, but yeah, I mean Fetty, he's going to get starts this year. I don't know. I I'm I'm pretty down on him. Obviously, I, he's kind of the. I've had people ask like why, like why are you lower on close to the majors like quality starting pitchers like a. Uh, Chance Adams or a Corbin Burns, like those types of guys. And it's like Eric Fetty's, you know, he was supposed to be a pretty sure thing as a number three starter. I don't really see that anymore. I think he's more of a number four, number five. Uh, maybe he's a, maybe he's a high strikeout number four starter. Maybe he's a reliever. I mean, there's, I think that the, the floor is pretty low with Fetty, which is why he's outside my top 200. Nice. Anybody else in this national system you want to talk about before we sign off? I'll just say really quickly, like Yasel Antuna versus Luis Garcia is a legit debate. And it's, it's actually reminiscent to me. It's kind of a a poor man's Vlad versus Robles debate where Garcia is the guy with the speed and Tuna is the guy with the, you know, for an 18 year old, I think his ceiling is really high when it comes to batting average and power. I think he projects as, as a really nice, you know, 280, 290 hitter with 25, 30 homer pop. Whereas, whereas Garcia, the selling point is like it's across the board production. He's probably got a better shot at sticking at shortstop. Just kind of wanted to explain like the reason I have Antuna so far ahead is I have very few questions about the bat. Whereas Garcia, 
you know, he, he there's a lot going for him. I'm I'm not sure yet that he that he hits enough though to be a, a top ten, top fifteen shortstop in his in his peak. Very interesting. Well, we appreciate the insight as always. Still looking for something to do to end our shows this year. If you got any suggestions, hit us up on Twitter. I'm at Clay W. Link. James is at Real J.R. Anderson. I will just say, just hip-hop related, I got a song recommendation for you. Uh, you know I'm a Zero guy. The song Devil Ass City by Zero. It's a banger. I <laughs> uh, also like the, the Nas song, Nas album done. Video is horrendous. Just horrendous, I found out. That's a good one, too. What have you been spinning lately? Um, Anything new? You know, I, I've been on a pretty big future kick. Uh, his al- I, He came out with two albums at, like, the same time this past year. I've, I've been bumping the album Hendrix quite a bit. Uh, I'm always, like, about six to 12 months behind on... Yeah, like same. most people are kind of on to what just got released like a month ago. I'm I'm kind of finally getting around to getting to Futures albums that were released like a year ago. So yeah. like that that's where I'm at right now. Yeah, if somebody asked me like, oh, is that new? I'm like, yeah, and it came out in like 2015. <laughs> but I'm right there as well. Thanks again, James. We'll talk to you next week. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.